Welcome to Sky Team's People First with Morag Barrett. Dr. Wayne Baker is Robert P. Tomei, Professor of Business Administration and Professor of Management and Organizations at the University of Michigan Ross School of Business. He's also Professor of Sociology at the University of Michigan and Faculty Associate at the Institute for Social Research. He currently serves as Faculty Director of the Center for Positive Organizations. His teaching and research focus on social capital, social networks, generosity, positive organizational scholarship and values, and has published numerous scholarly articles and four books. His management and leadership articles appear in venues such as the Harvard Business Review, Chief Executive Magazine, and Sloan Management Review. And he puts his knowledge into practice as a frequent guest speaker, management consultant, and as an advisor and board member of Give and Take Inc., developers of the Givitas collaborative technology platform. So I'm really excited to have you as my guest this week, Wayne, and looking forward to our conversation about your new book. And I see it behind you there. All you have to do is ask. So welcome. Well, thank you. I'm glad to be here. Well, it's interesting. I love the title. Um, it's a, a double whammy for me because as I think back through my career, early I've prided myself on being independent. I give me a task, give me a problem, I'll go do it, minimum of supervision. And it's only through my book, Cultivate, that I've realized the importance of interdependence. And of course, everything that you talk about in your book, all you have to do is ask, is all built on that idea of we are connected. And if I don't ask for help, if I don't seek input, then my success, our success is slowing down. Oh, absolutely. In fact, uh, I used to suffer from the same problem. <laughs> then I realized that I could do a much better job, make better decisions, and be a lot more effective and even more creative by asking for input from other people. You know, we have our, our human capital, the you know, what we know, uh, our skills, our experiences, but we also have our social capital. That's the network of relationships. Mm -hmm. And if we draw upon that, we can be even more effective. But, you know, I did the same thing. In fact, one of the, one of the barriers to asking is the assumption that we have to be self-reliant and sometimes we can over-rely on self-reliance. I wonder if that's a reflection of when we entered the workforce, because I know in the 90s and my first career was in finance, being told um, it's not personal, it's just business. Leave your emotions at the door. And of course, you and I, we turn that on the, its head. Business is personal. So what was the epiphany for you that made you realize that the relationship capital is as important as the transactional capital in business? Well, you know, I was taught the same thing, is that you want to be independent, a self-starter, self-reliant, put your head down and just get your job done. Um but it was getting desperate, getting stuck, getting not able to, to work through some problems that, you know, I really felt like, okay, I, I got so desperate, I needed to ask for help in some things. And then I discovered that most people were very generous and they would offer help and assistance and it reduced my stress level and I got, you know, much better, better results. Okay. Can you give me an example of the personal and professional cost of not asking for help? Ah, okay. So the if you think about performance as a function of those two things, what we know, our human capital and our social capital, 
it's like trying to uh, uh, to wrestle with one arm behind your back if you're only going to use one of them, use your human capital. So you really need to have both uh, to be effective. You know, think about uh, you know an organization like IDEO, uh, well mm-hmm. known for its creativity and as a robust culture of generosity and and reciprocity. You know, there it's a it's a rule that as soon as you get stuck on something, you need to stop, get a bunch of designers, and have a little huddle, and ask them for some input. They discover that's a much faster way to problem solving and being creative. I say, okay, well, that maybe that's the case in you know creative design, but what about other fields? Well, I know an economic consulting firm, so these are all PhD economists, and they tend to be you know very independent, work entirely on their own. Um, but when a new PhD is hired, they'll have a discussion with the principals, and the principals will say, we don't want you to work for more than 20 minutes on a problem by yourself. If you're stuck after 20 minutes, we want you to reach out and consult one of the other economists. And so they make it an organizational norm to really tap into the collective intelligence, the collective knowledge of all the people in the firm. I love that because it's making the implicit explicit. Here are the rules of engagement in this organization. No more than 20 minutes of what could I, what should I, I don't know what to do before you go ask versus in many organizations, we'll just keep banging away at it for weeks and months because of whatever's holding us back from asking for help. So what are those internal drivers then that stop us asking? Well, one we've already mentioned, which is the the feeling that we have to be Mm self-reliant. We can over-rely on that. Another very common one is that people are worried or fear that they'll appear to be incompetent, unable to do their jobs, weak, uninformed, ignorant. But here, research is really helpful for updating that belief. The research now shows that as long as you make a thoughtful, intelligent request, people will think you are more competent, not less. So there, the research is really helpful to say that. I mean, that's liberating to say, you know, as long as I make a thoughtful request and I really think this through and ask for it in a powerful way, people will think I'm more competent, not less. Say one other common barrier I could point out is that we often underestimate other people's willingness and ability to help. And there's a number of very uh, ingenious studies that have been done, including one that involved asking participants to go into the streets of New York City and ask a stranger to borrow a cell phone. Okay. What happened? Well, it's really interesting is that now people were paid to participate in this experiment to go out and ask those strangers. When they learned what the experiment was about, some of them just dropped out of the study because the mere thought of approaching a stranger and asking for a cell phone was just too much. Mm -hmm. But a number of people did sign up and they did go through with it. And before they went out, the researchers asked them to estimate how many people do you think you'll have to approach before you get your first cell phone? Five people, 10 people, you'll never get it. Well, what they found to their surprise was that it was the first or the second person on average that gave them a phone. And all they could say was, I'd like to uh, to borrow your cell phone to make a call. They couldn't tell a sob story or explain mm-hmm. why that's all they could say. And even in New York City, uh, people would respond. I love that. So you talk there about making a thoughtful request. What makes a request thoughtful? 
Well, first, it takes some planning and some preparation. Now, that may need be more than a few minutes, but you really got to think about what is the goal? What is the objective? What am I trying to achieve? In fact, I know some people will start every morning and will say, okay, what, what are my goals for today? What am I trying to achieve today? Once you've got that in mind, you can say, all right, well, what's a resource that I need that's going to help me to achieve that goal? Maybe it's uh, I need advice. Maybe I need to talk to an expert. I need a referral. I need my boss to sponsor me, whatever it might be. It could be a whole variety of different things. But you've got the goal in mind. You've got the resource that you need. And then you need to formulate the request for that resource using what I call SMART criteria. Okay. So SMART criteria are different than SMART criteria for goals. Mm -hmm. So the S is for specific. Yeah. And you want to ask for something very specific. This has to do with the way in which the human memory works. So if I ask for something very specific, it will trigger people's memories of what they know and who they know. Those are the two ways you can help. Okay. You know, I can help you, or if I can't help you, I can tap my network and find someone who can help you. It's only a specific request that triggers those memories. The M, now this is really different from the M for smart goal, which is measurable. And measurability is nice, but here it's meaningful. It's the why of the request. And it's surprising, but a lot of people will leave that out or just assume that other people know that it's important and meaningful because they're making the request. You should never assume that. You need to explain why this is an important request. What's the, the meaningful part of this request? Okay. And then A is for action. You're asking for something to be done. So stating a goal is not a request. Or that goal is a destination. A request is something, something that helps you move towards that goal. So you ask for something to be done, like a referral or sometime to sit down and get advice or input, whatever it might be. The R is for strategically realistic. So I encourage people to make big requests, stretch requests, small requests, as long as they're, they're real, they're authentic, but it has to be within the realm of, of possibility. Okay. And finally, the T is for time. There has to be a deadline. And here, a specific deadline is much more motivating than a general uh, general deadline. If I say, oh, you know, sometime by the end of this year, you know, that's that won't motivate people to respond. But if they say, look, I really need it by the end of this month, and here's why, that will motivate people to respond. All right. So you talk specific, meaningful, action, strategically relevant, and time. That makes for a smart and thoughtful request. So do you find people tend to go all in and go go big or go home? Or do they find it easier to make the small requests, like may I borrow your cell phone? Which one of the spectrum do people start? Yeah, it's a good question. Every now and then people will go for the big one. But in my experience, using a lot of the tools that I write about in my book, what I found is that people will try a safe request first. Mm -hmm. Something that's not too risky where they don't feel vulnerable and see what happens. And then... When they get a favorable response, and almost everyone does, they'll be willing to take a bigger risk the next time. But it also depends on the context in which the request is made. So if you're using some of these tools that are for teams, uh, where the rules of our engagement is that everyone needs to make a request uh, in the stand-up that we do. Let's say that it's a, it's, it could be a face-to-face -face stand up. Mm -hmm. Or it could be a virtual stand-up that's done through Zoom. I've done them both ways. In fact, lately I've been doing them through Zoom. You know, it'll be 20 people at our Center for Positive Organizations who would normally be meeting face-to-face -face at 10 a.m. in the morning are now meeting uh, through Zoom. 
um, and going through that process and that everyone's required to you know, say, here's what I worked on yesterday. Here's what I'm working on today. And here's something that I need. Here's a request I'd like to make. If you know that everyone is going to make requests, then it normalizes the process. It's a lot harder if, okay, we're going to put the spotlight on you. You make a request while all of us sit back, we're safe, and we're going to watch you, you know, make that request. But if you know that everyone is going to do it, it's psychologically safe to do so. So are there ground rules for that engagement as along with everybody's going to ask for something, but how do you remove the perceived or misperceived risk of judgment or what if people can't help? How do you make that an inclusive process? Yeah, so there's a couple of elements to the question that you asked. So one is what if people can't help? In the team or group tools, you don't target any particular person you make the request to the entire group. Mm-hmm. So you mentioned the introduction, the Gibitas platform, which is a digital platform for making requests and giving help. You broadcast your request to the entire group or the community that you're a member of. You don't identify any particular person. That's part of the power of it because you never know what people know or who they know until you ask. And a lot of times the person who you thought would be the one who would answer with the great response, it's actually somebody else who says, you know, I don't have the answer, but I know someone who does. Someone who's not a member of our community, and I'm going to tap my network and make an introduction, and it's amazing what can happen. It so, is. First of all, no one's being put on the spot. It's a request out to the group. Uh, people respond afterwards if they're able to do so, so no one's really you know, embarrassed if they're not able to respond. Um, and then when you make the request, it comes back to the, a little bit of training on, okay, you want to be, you know, you're going to have to do this, say at 10 a.m. in 10, 10 a.m. in the morning, you're going to have to make a request. So give it a little thought ahead of time is what are you going to ask for? Why are you going to ask? Use the smart criteria, be succinct when you make that request. And, you know, people will make quality requests that way. It might be for something big or something small, but it will be a thoughtful request that will, elevate people's perceptions of your competence. What, what have been some of the surprising requests that you've seen through the Givitas platform? Oh, we've seen some amazing requests. So uh, let's see, here's one I can think of. There was a, um, a senior engineer in one of the large auto companies who was struggling with this complex metallurgical problem. Mm-hmm. He described it. I had no idea what he was talking about, but <laughs> other people did. Help came from a seemingly very unlikely source, which was a 22-year-old admin who had just been hired by the firm. Wow. Turns out her father was the world's expert in that particular problem. Her father had just retired, so he had a lot of time on his hands. Um, and. Oh. Uh, and and his wife was encouraging him to spend more time outside of the home. Right? <laughs> <laughs> it's funny how that works, a little encouraging. But I love that. And it goes back to you're only ever one conversation away from either realizing your dreams or getting one step closer to it. But when we hold back, we never find out these hidden talents or these connections that are right there. If only, as you described it, if only we asked. That's right. That's right. And when you do ask, you'll be amazed at how generous people are. Almost everyone wants to help. Uh, the research shows that people generally feel bad when they can't help. Mm-hmm. So if you take that into account, you think that like if somebody said no, 
would you ever go back and ask them for something else? A lot of people would say, oh no, they, they said no once, I'm not going back to them again. But the research shows that they're more likely to say yes the second time to a different request because they feel bad they, they couldn't help you the first time. So in your research, you talk about the generalized reciprocity um, and paying it forward. So what did your research show about how we go out of our way to help each other? Yeah, so we did a, a very large study where we looked at thousands and thousands of decisions to help someone. Um, and what we discovered is that there were a couple of factors that, that came into play. One was what we call, or others call, direct reciprocity. You know, you help me, I'm more likely to help you when you make a request. And that was significant, but it wasn't a major motivator, but it was a motivator. Another motivator was, you know, I'm going to help someone who hasn't helped me yet because I know that others are watching what I'm doing and that I'm going to appear to be a generous person to them. It's kind of impression management, and they'll be more likely to help me in the future. So there it's more of a strategic, maybe even you know, strategic or even enlightened self-interest, but it's really self-interest that drives it. That's a motivator. But the biggest motivator for paying it forward is gratitude for help received. And that was the strongest and the longest lasting effect that mm -hmm. we found in this very big study is that I'm more likely to help somebody who hasn't helped me because I'm so grateful for all the help that I have received from other people. So the more help I've received, the more likely I am to pay it forward to help other people, whether they've helped me or not. Okay. Earlier you used the phrase psychological safety. What is that and how does that underpin a culture of reciprocity? So psychological safety is a concept that was developed by Amy Edmondson at Harvard Business School. And she did the pioneering research in this area. And in particular, she was looking at teams and she said a team that is psychologically safe is one in which it's safe for what she called interpersonal risk taking. So you could admit a mistake. Uh, you could ask for help and assistance without concerns about um, how people will perceive you. People freely give and get help from one another. And she found that some teams were psychologically safe. Those tended to perform at a much higher level. Other teams are psychologically unsafe, so people wouldn't share information. They wouldn't dare ask for something that they needed. They would never, they would hide their mistakes. They'd never admit a mistake. So those teams didn't fare very well. So that's what the concept of psychological safety means. And from a leader's point of view, there are things you can do to elevate the psychological safety of your teams or your groups. So a lot of these group tools that I write about are mechanical in the sense of you don't have to believe it's going to work. You just have to follow the recipe, just follow the steps. And if you follow the steps and as a team leader, you make sure that people follow those steps, you will be creating a psychologically safer team or group environment. Once you've done that, people will be more likely to make bigger requests the next time, which makes it psychologically safer. Again, it becomes this, you know, this positive self-fulfilling cycle. So it's like any muscle, we have to exercise it. So tell me more about this recipe and what are those first steps that somebody listening to this, what are the first steps they can take to start creating that culture of reciprocity? So we talked earlier about the importance of planning and preparation. And so I write about three different methods that are, that are helpful. One is called quick start. I'll elaborate that in a moment. Uh, the second one is goal articulation. Uh, it's a longer exercise. You articulate your goals in various domains and think about the resources that you need and then how you would 
turn those into effective requests. And then the third is visioning, uh, which takes the longest to do, but is the most powerful. It's creating a vivid, detailed narrative of what success looks like for you, say, three to five years out. And if you do that, there'll be a lot of, you're describing what that success is at that time. Uh, there's a lot of implicit goals or requests that are in that. And you can kind of work your way backwards. But I'll give you an example from the quick start method. And I named it that because it would get on very, very quickly. So what it is, is a series of five incomplete sentences. There's two blanks in each sentence. Okay. And what you do is you just fill in those two blanks. And I've done this with hundreds and hundreds of executives. And it only takes about 10 minutes to do the whole worksheet. And then they have a much clearer idea of you know, what they're trying to accomplish and the resource that they need. And then they can make one, a request for at least one of those. So here would be an example. Um, I'm currently working on mm -hmm. blank, and I could use help to. So I'm currently working on and I can use help to. If you fill in those two blanks, you have a sense of what you're trying to accomplish and, and a resource you might need. You could say one of my biggest challenges is and I need advice on mm -hmm. there, one of my biggest challenges and I need advice on whatever it might be. Uh, and a third one, there's five of these. A third one would be, uh, my biggest hope is, and I would benefit from. So if you thought, if you filled in those three sentences, you know, you'd start getting a pretty concrete idea of what it is that you're trying to accomplish and why, and the kind of resource that you need. And I know people who will do that in some form every morning, you know, they get up, mm -hmm. put on the coffee, turn on their computer, and they'll fill that out for every day. Okay, well, what is my biggest challenge today? What is my hope for today? What am I currently working on? And what could I, you know, what kind of advice do I need? So if you've done that and you've got requests, and so a good leader will encourage people to do that, either using the formal quick start method exercise, which takes about 10 minutes in a group, uh, but you've helped people to start thinking about the requests that they want to make. And then when you put people in one of these team or group situations, use a tool like the reciprocity ring, huddles, stand-ups. There's four or five other ones that I could name, but they're all variations of the same theme, which is that everyone makes a request. That's one of the rules of participation. You've given some thought to that. You've done some planning and some preparation, but you spend most of your time listening to other people and the requests that they make, thinking about how you could help them. And you can help them in one of two ways. You've got the resource or the answer. You can share it or you can tap your network. Mm -hmm. But help is given afterwards, after the activity is over. So, you know, people have some sense of what they're trying to accomplish and why, the resource that they need, the rules of participation are that you make a request. And then these different methods like the huddle or the stand-up or the reciprocity ring are just different recipes, a different series of steps for fulfilling those, uh, those, those main parts. I love what you described there, especially uh, the statements with the blanks, because it moves it from a me, I've got to get this done, oh my goodness, I'm still struggling with that, or whatever it might be. It moves from just me to that we focus because of that double-barreled and I could do with help from, because now I'm thinking about who can I reach out to, who on my team, to your point, who in my network might be able to provide answers and it, it's putting that and into give and take. I mean, it frustrates me when I see, you know, people say, well, when you're going to networking, you've got to do, don't talk so much, do a lot of listening. Well, that doesn't work if you're listening and I'm listening because neither of us are talking then and it has to be a balance. Mm -hmm. And so it seems deceptively easy. How do you go about making this sticky then 
and a habit that comes to all of us? Well, every habit has two parts. One is um, some knowledge mm -hmm. or some new insight and a lot of practice. So the, the knowledge or the insight could be reading about, you know, the, the benefits of asking for what you need as an individual, as a team, as an organization. It could be reading about the research and how to overcome the barriers to asking. So that's on the knowledge and education part. But then you need to use a lot of the tools to start putting it into practice. So you start with a quick start method to figure out what you're trying to accomplish and why. Uh, and then a whole variety of ways or formats in which you can ask for what you need. While you'll try to be that person who is also a generous giver, a helper of other people. You know, so it's that those two things, a little bit of knowledge and insight to update your beliefs and then a lot of practice. Wayne, I love it. Thank you. So as we come to the end of our time, just sum up for me, what are you hoping that the people watching and listening are taking away about the book and the concepts of all you have to do is ask? Well, I could uh, trace the origin of this idea all the way back 21 years ago when we first created the reciprocity ring. And back then, I started every event with the same little lecture, the importance of being generous. But what I found was that that was rarely the problem. The problem was getting people to ask for what they need. And so I shifted my emphasis and over the years did a lot more research, collected more tools, et cetera, that focus on the idea that the request is the catalyst to the giving-receiving cycle. And that without a request, there can be no generosity. Right? So you want to be what I call a giver requester, someone that is generous, who freely helps other people. You don't keep track of who helped you. And you frequently make requests for what you need, that you want to be able to do both. So I would think that would be the best thing. And if I have a little mantra I can leave, uh, leave you with, uh, if people want even more concrete advice, it would be this. It's to uh, join, give, ask. Join, give, ask. So join means to join some group that has a mission that you believe in. It could be a, maybe an employee resource group where you work or an affinity group, or it could be a LinkedIn group or a Facebook group or something, you know, that you have an interest in the topic itself um, and you join. Second is that you look for opportunities to offer help to people, to give help. Mm -hmm. They may just be making implicit requests or they may just state something that they're working on. You say, hey, you know, I just I read something about that and I'll forward it to you. Right. So to be that giver and then finally to ask that community when you need help or assistance. So with the, the Givitas platform, um, I would invite people to go there. We have about a half a dozen open communities on different topics is one on human resources, one Givitas for leaders. Uh, for nonprofit organizations, for associations, and so forth. You can join those. There's absolutely no charge whatsoever. And you'll join a community of people who are living those principles of giving freely and asking frequently. Okay. Thank you, Dr. Baker. I love that summary. So if we piqued people's curiosity, how can people find out more? We've got the Give a Task platform, and I'll make sure that that information is definitely in the show notes below this video. How else can people get hold of you or learn more about your work and research? Well, thanks. I hope that people do. So you can find me easily on LinkedIn. Um, you could find me through my personal page, which is waynebaker.org. Or you could find me through the website we have for the book. By the way, the website includes a lot of free resources, such as a free assessment, a learning map, and so forth. 
And that's the title of the book.com. So all you have to do is ask.com. All you have to do is ask. Well, Wayne, I am so glad I asked and we were introduced. I really enjoyed today's conversation. I look forward to continuing to learn from you in the future. But uh, on that note, thank you. Well, thank you. It's been a delightful conversation and uh, I appreciate the opportunity. Thank you so much for joining Morag today. If you enjoyed the show, please like and subscribe so you don't miss a thing. If you learned something worth sharing, share it. Cultivate your relationships today when you don't need anything before you need something. Be sure to follow Sky Team and Morag on LinkedIn, Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. And if you have any ideas about topics we should tackle, interviews we should do, or if you yourself would like to be on the show, drop us a line at info at skyteam.com. That's S-K-Y-E team.com. Thanks again for joining us today. And remember, business is personal and relationships matter. We are your allies.